Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Hello and welcome to episode 101 of the Asian Cinema Phone Club. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me of course is my co-host, the Professor Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hi there. Here we are on episode 101. We've crossed one mountain and just downwards now, isn't it? So. Yeah, it's like the Aguirre, the... No, Fitzcarraldo. Fitzcarraldo. <laughs> Aguirre was just going down, uh, down a river with Kinski, which is... Uh, Experience it was. of itself. <laughs> it was. That's one of my favourite films. That is, but uh, which is, but, yeah, fit, yeah. We'll, we'll fit to Corrado it, right? Yep. But yes, yes. And rather fittingly, we're going right back to where we started with, as we obviously way back in episode one, we covered Ghost in the Shell, and tonight we're going to be covering Ghost in the Shell Two: Innocence. But before we get into that, it's obviously time to ask what you've been watching, and in terms of recording things um it's been a couple of weeks since we recorded our last episode and since then britain's been destroyed by another virus and then another one on top of that i don't including remember... me yeah about to say same as <laughs> myself so um yeah, so... having a huge amount to report <laughs> but um steven what have you uh, yeah. been watching well, luckily i did i mean i i came down with the virus a week before christmas um and that wasn't able to really do anything and I was still working so basically I just spent the spent the days in bed and then in front of my laptop working but I have managed to watch a couple of things I am hopefully better now um so I knocked a couple of things off my uh, more recent watch pile um one of them was uh blu-ray from Eureka called The Shaolin Plot I want to say it's a Shaw Brothers film can't remember um Wong Fung is the director. Um, maybe it was, maybe it was Golden Harvest. It doesn't really matter. The important thing is it's the first main um, uh, uh, role for Sammo Hung, although he's the bad guy and he's only in about a third of the film, but that's that's basically why it's got released. It's one of those films which has been hard to find and Eureka are, have basically spent the year getting these old martial arts films, dusting them down and um, and putting them out on DVD and Blu-ray, which is uh, delighting some of the audience and utterly frustrating the people who want films other than martial arts films from Eureka. Anyway, um, what was this one like? It was okay. Um, Sammo Hung is uh, is the bad guy in this, or one of the, or, or sort of a henchman of the bad guy. He, he, he sports an amazing wig and mutton chops, um, and he, uh, what he has, what do they call it? Guillotines? They're like symbols, razor edge symbols on string that he goes around killing people with. Okay. Um, yeah, basically, it's it's a plot we've heard before. There's a there's a there's a, there's a prince that wants to collect all the the different martial arts styles, all the books about it, and he goes about instead of learning about, goes about trying to steal it from people. Summer hunks his henchmen, um, and. Yeah, he he basically goes into a Shaolin monastery and wacky hijinks and lots of fighting ensue. Um, it's fine. The martial arts actually is pretty good. Obviously, Samo is a good laugh in it as well. Um, it's just a bit long, mate, and I'm not convinced it is one of the sort of the vital films that that you would need. Um, need to watch but it's good nice 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 blu-ray from eureka if you like your samurai hung if you need a bit of martial arts fixery I'd, I'd recommend it but probably not one for the casual watcher i don't know if you've seen it or not no it's not one that i've uh, i've seen when it comes to Sammo Hung's filmography there's quite a few gaps in there and it doesn't really help the fact he's still working quite a fair bit at the moment so mm. 
I have another one to watch for Eastern Kicks, The Dead and the Deadly, which I still haven't got round to finishing because it was a bit <laughs> and and writing up. I hope they still want the uh, the review. But yeah, the, it's, that seems to be what Eureka are doing is trying to fill out those. And they're trying to they're finding films which were really hard to get hold of, probably even harder to get hold of with subtitles. So fair play to them. I'm just not convinced they are necessarily all classics, as we know. You know, these films were pumped out. Anyway, there was that. And then at the other end of the spectrum, I um, got to watch. Um, I can't remember if you've seen this or not. Have you seen Drive My Car? I've not seen it yet. I heard that it's a slow burn and a long film, and I was like, I'm okay. <laughs> so I've not got around yeah. to watching it yet. You watched something else by Ryosuke Hamaguchi, though, didn't you? The director. I'm sure you did. I'm sure you talked about it, but or maybe I'm imagining it. Um, so it is um, based on a story by um, Harakiri Murakami as lots of things are <laughs> so it's based well, it's based on a short story of his with other bits of other short stories that he's written um, not stories that I've actually read um, it stars um, Hidetoshi Nishijima who's one of those actors who's been in a ton of things that I've never really stood out he's, he's basically a stage actor and he's um so yeah he's a stage actor um the first sort of third of the film because bear in mind well bear in mind i'm telling you now that the, the opening credits don't happen till about 45 50 minutes into the film so oh, it's, sort of a, it's a pre-film sequence where he he's um yeah he's an actor his wife is a um a tv like a tv producer um, they have a very strange relationship where basically after having sex, she basically makes up stories and tells him stories while that in, in the post orgasmic glow. But she's also cheating on him, but he seems to accept it. And then one day he has a car crash, um, but he's all right. But then a couple of days later, his wife dies. And then time she has a, like an aneurysm or something. And then so we, we move forward in time a few years. He's still mourning his wife. He goes down to Hiroshima to um, to basically produce. He's given up acting, but he's still directing the stage play. And it's Uncle Vanya um, is, is the play. Um, and because of the car crash he'd had, um, he's not allowed to drive anymore. So the, sort of the production company provided him with a driver who's a young girl um, played by, oh, crikey, Toko Miura. I think that's her name, but she was in Lesson of the Evil. That's where you'll remember her from. The, oh, right. Uh, okay, so that's the connection. Yes, there's I've seen the connection Lesson of the Evil. Anyway, yeah, so, but she is a, yeah, she, she, she's a young girl. Um, she's, she's also come to Hiroshima to, I think, get away from things that have happened in her past. Her mother died. Um, basically, he doesn't want a driver. They become friends. They share aspects of their grief um so you find out well, i don't want to spoil it actually but you find out there's other layers to his grief not only has his wife died but they there's a there's a there's a shared grief that they're both having that we didn't know about and that explains her actions in the first part of the film and we find out the young girls um you know got 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 some, some guilt and out through their friendship and other things happen that mean they uh, get through it and the film has a mildly happy ending i say mildly happy it's not like that joyous um yeah it's nearly three hours long it's really well made it's really well acted and actually to be fair i am the poster child for someone who can't stand movies that long but it was actually really <coughs> it was actually really good and i didn't stop and i watched it in one sitting and it's just really well made and really well acted but if the thought of a a well made well acted but th nearly three hour long film doesn't float your boat also like one of the characters is is is, deaf, is um deaf and dumb i think so it, it, it you've really got to pay attention um, okay. some of the characters also speak korean rather japanese there's a lot there's a lot there's there's a lot going on although it is fairly slow paced i am surprised it it won it won best international film at the oscar last year i can see why it did not really you know i i think it's a good film 
I've given it four on Letterboxd. But I, you know, it's not a five. Um, but that's that's just my view. But yes, um, interesting. I'd re- I'd recommend it if you've got the time, or or happy to slice it up. But uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, I've got moved by until the 16th of January, so the chance I may still get a chance to work it in before then because I've seen some interesting bits that they have the rights to, such as Pleasure and Under the Silver Lake recently. You know? mm. Um, both of those were were pretty damn phenomenal. Yeah, um, yeah, pleasure, pleasure is really good. I um, I drive my funny enough, I didn't watch it on Mumbai. I picked up a copy of the Blu-ray in Sex or C E X. Yeah. In in um, when I was doing my Christmas shopping, I picked up a few films and it was like so cheap. And I thought, well, I really want to see it. And it's less than a monthly Mumbai subscription. <laughs> actually, it was, actually, it was it was it's really good. So yeah, if you if you get the chance, if you get the time, watch it. I just I am aware that it's quite a commitment of time. It was a whole Saturday night for me, um, and I'm not sure breaking it up is going to be very helpful to it. It's. I mean, I'm a bit. I remember finding Murakami for a start, so I, mm. I mean, it should appeal to me. And the local. Um, we say art cinema uh, over in the South Sea they were showing it but at the same time I didn't really fancy sitting on a beanbag for three hours mm. um, where have we got this idea that beanbags were ever comfortable that's the other thing I want to know because they just they have these beanbag chairs and it's sort of like oh yeah isn't it cool you can come and sit in a beanbag and watch a, a movie in this small little cinema and it's like I like the experience, but I don't want to sit on a beanbag for three hours. <laughs> yeah, there was one in Hackney. Might be the same chain, but yes, there used to be. There, a, there is. A, there is still a cinema in Hackney, and they used to show Asian cinema, like, but at like one in the morning. So I'd drive all the way around London to go to East London. Okay. <laughs> just, just to watch that. But always dreading they were going to put it on in the beanbag <laughs> screen. <laughs> I am. Um, I mean, I watched. Uh, Apocalypse Now, the Redux cut, which is four mm. hours, and that was a cinema where it was basically a, a wooden bench with a bit of cloth over it, <laughs> and you get to intermission and you're just like, you're like, I've got to come back. <laughs> it's like just end the film already. It's the one time you root for them to kill cats. <laughs> it means you can go home. Yeah, you, you understand Michael Sheen's mission is to like by killing cats, he gets to go home, same as you. So oh, the horror, the horror. Oh, indeed. But uh, for myself, only one thing to report on, and I did a rewatch of City of Fire, uh, the Ringo Lambs film. City on Fire. Did City you on say? Fire from 1987, yeah. um, starring Cherry on Fat, and uh, also Danny Lee. And it's kind of interesting in this one because obviously Cherry on Fat plays an undercover cop, Danny Lee plays a crook. Uh, if we watch Hard Boiled with the two reunited, um, then it's complete uh, opposite. Sorry, in The Killer, it's uh, the roles are flipped because um, Danny Lee's a cop and Cherry and Fat's a criminal. So, but no, I rewatched this one for the Church of Tarantino podcast, who were on their second season and they're looking at the inspirations behind Tarantino's movies. Um, so I got to go on there and I got to talk about Kubrick's The Killing and I got to talk about City of Fire and to be honest I was just happy to go on and talk about this movie because I adore it immensely and it's kind of funny when you think of Ringo Lamb because he has this really great period in like the 80s going into the 90s where he's producing like these fantastic movies like this and Full Contact, the Prison on Fire movies and then he goes over to America and just makes like direct DVD movies with Jean-Claude Van Damme like In Hell and Replicant so it's always a weird career when I think of like Ringo Lam, I just imagine him as like this big director. Um, but now he mainly does sort of like DTV stuff with uh, Van Damme. Yeah, and we sometimes forget about him, don't we, when we talk about those sort of those new wave, Hong Kong new wave directors who went across to not just Hong Kong, but sort of Asian New wave directors like John Woo, like Ang Lee, like Choi Hark, and we sometimes forget that um, Ringo Lam went there, <laughs> and unlike some of the others, did manage, you know, eked out a career, still making films now, mate. He is still making. Well, films he's not because he's dead, but um, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? There's um, 
there is sorry i miss i misread yeah he died back in 2017 or so didn't he but yes um samo hung what's this yes septet the story of hong kong is seven stories by yes okay so yeah they've, they've it's it's a posthumous release so yes yeah, it's a, 2018 he passed away that's right i'm always think we talked about it on this very show i believe we did yeah, um, um but yes so he has got um a short a short film as part of a wider film in in the uh, septet story of hong kong which is literally Short films, I really want to see it now. It's got uh, one by Samo Hung, one by An Hui, one by Patrick Tam, one by Yun Wu Ping, one by Johnny To, one by Ringo Lam, one by Choi Hark. Um, yeah, I'll have to, have to pick that up. <laughs> that sounds excellent. I love a, I love a film. But yes, yes, I think he's, um, I think he was often for- forgotten about. Um, maybe because he was hanging around with JV CD. No, JCV. Indeed. No, I mean, when it comes to City on Fire, this is still a fantastic mm-hmm. crime thriller. I mean, it's um, the fact here you've got um, Jerry on Fire as this undercover cop who's sort of uh, living by his own code of code because he, when his previous mission saw him how to turn on turn in a guy that he'd become friends with, and now he's sort of like reluctant to go back undercover again. Uh, at the same time, you've got these two superior officers that are sort of like battling for control of the operation. He's got his uh, connections he's forming within the gang. And while it's probably a movie best known for providing a key inspiration for about five scenes in uh, Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs, I think it's a movie that certainly stands on its own merits, even without the dogs linked to it. Um, certainly when you look at the comparison, it's basically the finale of City on Fire is where Tarantino draws his inspiration from to create for his high sequence and certainly when you and this is what we go into on uh, the Church of Tarantino episode which you will be out now when by the time you're hearing this so you can uh, go over there and check it out but it's um, so many of the elements that they describe in dogs of like going wrong with the heist are things that happen within City on Fire so but uh, no it feeds some really great uh, high sequences and just uh just the cast throughout are just absolutely uh, phenomenal. So if you have not seen City on Fire, and you can track it down, because bizarrely it's a really difficult disc to get hold of. I think the last release that was put out was the Hong Kong Legends one. So um, it was kind of a, a pain in the ass to get hold of a copy of this again. So I think you talked about it, didn't you, on, um, on our last additions to our top 200 list i'm pretty certain did i include it in there did I, I think you did yes so um, i think i went on about it inspired the name of podcast on fire <laughs> yes our friends over in the podcast on fire mm. network so but uh yes that was that was it so as I say, i've been racked with illness and just watched things that i don't even want to bother like talking about so just mm. like old M. Night Shanahan, which is probably one of the worst movies I saw in the year. What was that? Old. Oh, yeah. the M. Night Shyamalan. Well, yeah, I still I, haven't seen it. Oh, it's it's pretty spectacular. The fact that he's so up his own ass. The fact he has to like give himself the adapted by credit in the opening, so it looks like he wrote it when he didn't. It's an adaptation. Yeah. Um, he's um. I don't think I've met someone so up their own ass as he is. He's so self-assured of his own ability. He... A director that has done some really amazing work and then got rightly shunned with Avatar, The Last Airbender, and After Earth, a film so bad, they took his name off the credits. <laughs> um, but had that little, had a, a two-film renaissance when budgets were taken away from him. Um, so uh, what's the one about the old people? That oh, the are, Visit. The, the Visit was really interesting because it was made for pennies. I've not seen The Visit yet. Yeah, so. I mean, you know, it, it's ageist and everything. But yeah, it's really, and, and Split, which was really interesting. Oh, God. But then he did Glass, which was the most disappointing movie I have ever seen. Even what we know about poor Bruce Willis now, 
is it doesn't excuse that film dreadful and so yeah I, I, and everyone has told me that old is terrible which probably means i'd actually like it but the the only film of his that i i really sort of resonated with was unbreakable and that's mainly because uh samuel jackson rewrote all his own bits i think i think well stuart little's good six cents is good so stuart little he wrote stuart little yeah did he yeah that's how he made them that's how he managed to to get the money to make six cents. Oh right, so I learned something new. He did today. direct Stuart though. He just, he just, and and, and and rightly, from the book, the mother gives birth to the mouse. Rightly, they just adopted him in the film because Gina Davis giving yeah. birth to a mouse just raised. They also adopted a bird in the second one. So. Yeah, well, he's, he's not as <laughs> the second one. Um, I really like Signs as well. I think again. Starring somebody who we're not allowed to talk about anymore, Mel Gibson is. I just think it's wonderful in that film. Um, but then it's just diminishing returns, and yeah. But I'd, I'd recommend the visit. The visit's really interesting, and it's just, it's just. It's, I just think he's one of these guys that needs somebody to say no to him sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Needs um, <clears throat> Carl Pilkington's superhero ego bullshit, man. He does. And he just like flies in and calls bullshit on him. He, he does. He needs some. He needs some. I mean, there's, there's a few directors like that, aren't there? I mean, there's a, another one I would say is um. Oh God, who's the guy? Zack Snyder, right? Zack Snyder is clearly, to my mind, a fantastic cinematographer. Okay. He's got a vision, right? But he doesn't know when to fucking stop as a director, and he needs somebody to control him i know he, i know zack snyder has his fans and i don't you know i think he's uh day of the dead is it day of the dead yeah uh, it's yeah. Uh, dawn of the dead dawn of the dead. i think it's dawn of the dead is a fantastic film i actually really like sucker punch as well i like sucker punch as well um but i think his dc films are just missed the fucking point if you don't understand superman don't make a film about it um i, liked, I mean i like watchmen i like 300 and yeah, but well, again, three hundred. But three hundred uh, is is style, isn't it? It's how it looks. Um, and and he's just cut. Over erotic is how it looks. He's just, uh, he's just taken literally page by page what Frank Miller drew. <laughs> um, but but I think I think I just I just think if he had somebody who said, edit, cut, stop, films don't have to be infinitely long. Yeah. Um, and Shalomon is another one. I think the guy is clearly talented. Firstly, stop appearing in your own shit, because... Uh, oh, is this a key person? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like um, in The Village, a film which had two twists rather than one, and, and, and nearly pulled it off, until at the end, he picks the girl, you know, he's in the car and he gives this speech and he just can't act and he has no screen presence. And you think, he's really lucky he's got to work with people like Mel Gibson and Paul Giamatti and... and Bruce Willis and um, Samuel L. Jackson and and all these people who can act, who not just can act, but have got charisma and screen presence, right? <coughs> all those people could just sit in front of you on the screen for 10 minutes reading your shopping list and you would watch them. M. Mike Shellerman cannot act. He has no screen presence. He's an unbreakable as a doctor as well, isn't he? And it's just fucking boring and nearly makes you fall asleep before... The film's even got going. Yeah, I don't know. But old, everyone's told me old is terrible. Yeah. And um, uh, I just, I, hopefully, it'll it'll force him back to smaller things. Uh, I mean, everything else, as I said, it's not Asian cinema related. It's just, you know, usual festive viewing, like watching Glass Onion, which was good. I like Glass Onion as well. Yeah. Um, I watched Sonic 2, which has got some of the best mecha work I've seen in a long time. I haven't seen Sonic 2. Oh, it's good. It's really, really good. I mean, Jim Carrey once again breaks his back. To... I didn't I didn't see Sonic 1. Jim Carrey again broke his back to make that movie work. Um, <laughs> but no, in the end, so you have the giant Robotnik robot. And it looks phenomenal. And anytime you have a giant robot in your movie, you have my attention. <laughs> so, yeah. I, as I said, it's uh, they, they managed to... They they learned how to write this thing with the second one because the first one it seemed they were still figuring it out but the second one they seem to have got more of a grasp on what they're doing so uh, if you're looking for fun you know 
New Year's Day viewing soon. There you go. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Okay. <laughs> On that note, it's time to fire up the projector for tonight's feature presentation, Ghost in the Show 2, Innocence. Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence. Uh, so on our very first episode, we looked at Ghost in the Shell 1, um, a real legendary anime in the anime landscape. I think for myself, it's up there with Akira, and the fact that I saw Akira and Ghost in the Shell back to back created this impossible bar for myself going forward, seeing as those were my introduction to anime, and now it creates this impossible bar which no other anime is ever going to be able to beat. But yeah, I think I think yeah, it's I, I guess you could add perfect blue and make it a triumvirate of oh, of course, yeah, the holy the holy triumvirate of nineties uh, anime really that every other anime everyone ever watches are judged against, I guess, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly other anime titles out there like Wings of Honor Moose, uh, Vampire Hunter D, Ninja Scroll, uh, Legend of the Overfiend. There's certainly other titles that are on there but in terms of like the scale art design all the different uh, elements there i think akira and ghost in the show were just like on this this whole other level and was sort of like showing what was possible with animation before the likes of pixar came along and you know made animation accessible for adults again really in the west but for whatever reason ghost in the show 2 innocence had uh, escaped my watch pile for years and years and years um, with this uh, film coming out in 2004 uh, so I thought it was so long overdue that I finally crossed it off the list um, and so here we are um, directed once again by Maru Ushi I think you were going to correct me on that Stephen I wouldn't dream of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mamoru Oshii, I think. Yeah, Mamoru Oshii. Oshii. Yeah, um, who himself uh, not only directed the original Ghost in the Shell, but he directed Platform 2. Uh, Angel Egg is very much a, a key figure, especially within the the 90s anime scene. Uh, he's definitely a, one of those key directors, alongside the likes of uh, Go Nagai. Um, so for him to obviously return to um, Ghost of the Show 2 had certainly my hopes high for this one in particular but the film itself this time follows on from the end of the first film uh, with the several months after the major became one with the puppet master and now it's uh, we follows Bato um, who is now teamed up with Togusu um, who's a agent, fellow agent with the Section 9 unit. The interesting part about Togusu is that he is a agent with no cybernetic enhancements compared to everyone else in the Section 9 who all have various degrees of cybernetic enhancement, uh, with Batu certainly being one who has been more altered than others. Uh, the film itself uh, sees him investigating a series of deaths due to malfunctioning gynod which are doll-like sex robots um, and he's uh, sent in to investigate what's causing these robots to murder their masters leading him into a rabbit hole of reprogramming and illegal robot use to say the least uh, in a plot that is heavy on philosophy and kind of confusing and I'm hoping over the course of this episode we're going to be able to shed some light on the plot and try and figure it out between us but Opening thoughts on this one, Stephen. Um, you obviously saw Ghost in the Shell with myself. It was our first episode, so we hung out, and I think we both enjoyed it. Yeah, I I did enjoy Ghost in the Shell. Um, 
I think it was the first time watching the time, and obviously it was contemporaneous with when the live action, yep, um, controversial live action film came out. Um, so I sort of watched it that story twice in a very short period of time. So I haven't waited quite as long as you have to watch this sequel. <laughs> I guess I did, and I was a bit confused because the, as, as always, there's there's other things that could be the sequel there are OVA there's a whole sort of ghost in the shell oh yeah you've got the standalone complex that's right so I didn't know if this was going to be a genuine sequel I was really surprised when Batu was there I was really surprised it literally picks up from the end of the last film I don't know why I was just expecting this to be just sort of like maybe set in the same universe but it's literally set in the same, you know, it's, it's just a continuation. Um, I, I have some problems with it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You mentioned it was very talky. I think it's incredibly talky. <laughs> and um, without a degree in philosophy, I'm not entirely sure. It's not that I didn't understand what people were talking about. I think there's a lot of... I don't live in a world, right, where you're you're talking to somebody at work and they suddenly quote some obscure Austrian philosopher and not just like a sentence, but like an entire page of their work. So it's in this kind of world that I bet there are I bet there are people who are doing philosophy at university who think this film's fucking amazing because it's quoting a lot of stuff that they understand. (laughs) Whereas to me, I found it an absolute sure to get through all that dialogue and i really struggled with the frame rate of the animation it's i don't know what it was but it was like it just wasn't smooth and i know that is sometimes the case with anime and you know the 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 frames of animation is sometimes a bit different to what we're used to and they do love their slow-mo and stuff like that but I, I found the whole thing watching it really unsettling and maybe it was meant to but it was weird however let's go through it you know so yeah I'm, I'm a bit on the fence about this but uh let's go through the plot and see if we both saw the same film okay <laughs> Well, the film itself is a co-production between Production IG and Studio Ghibli, two powerhouses of the animation world. Uh, Production IG, I think, were brought more to the forefront because they did the flashback animation in Kill Bill Volume 1 for Oren Ishii. Uh, Studio Ghibli, obviously a studio that requires no introduction themselves as they're the ones responsible for so much... for um, What's the word? Whimsy in the animation world. Um, the film itself is in, inspired by a couple of things, really. Um, it's in, loosely based on the Ghost in the Shell manga chapters, Robot Rondo, uh, with elements of Phantom Fund put in there. But um, when it came to the actual the actual film, I mean, Ushi really didn't envision a sequel um, to Ghost in the Shell when he sat down to to write it, and it sort of like only sort of became a sequel as he was sort of like putting it putting it together. But as you mentioned already, since the original since Ghost in the Shell came out, we had uh, OVAs and series series such as like Standalone Complex, which takes place on a separate timeline where the major never discovered the puppet master and is sort of like instead involved in a case called the laughing man we've also got solid state society which is another standalone uh series so there's multiple there's different timelines for the series but as you said already this one follows directly on from the first film and in many ways reminds me of blade runner 2047 have you seen that film i haven't have you not Another seen that? I haven't seen. No. Okay. That, that, that's far too fucking boring for my life. I'm not. I okay. I'm going to uh, get myself in trouble now. I'm not a huge fan of Blade Runner. I really didn't watch. Took me a couple of cracks to get it. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 the, the futurism stuff, the, the visuals. Yeah. The story itself is. Again, I don't see Mukawa act. I just want to see him kick ass. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but. 
Yeah, I, and, and is it 2047? I don't really know. But again, it's, that's the one with Ryan Gosling, right? It's the one with Ryan Gosling, yeah. Yeah, no, um, I haven't seen it. It looked, it looked nice, but it just wasn't going to... I, I'm very fussy with my sci-fi. Okay. Well, that's... that's scrap that, then, all like... that, then. <laughs> no, no, no. No. Um, if you watch the really live-action nice. version, you will see elements of Ghost and Show 2 that were included in there, such as um, the scene at the beginning where the uh, Geisha robots um, start mm-hmm. kidnapping people. Gotcha. That was uh, due inspiration from this. Personally, I'm a fan of the live-action version of Ghost in the Shell. I know that a lot of people got very up in arms because it's cast in Scarlett Johansson as the major, but I feel that you got to have a, a marquee name for, for the film. Yeah, it wouldn't have been made if she wasn't there. And that's a, I'm sorry, and that's a terrible thing, and it talks to the lack of representation in Hollywood of Asian people. You know, there's a handful of female Asian actors. The, what I would point to is that the creator of the manga said, who said they were Japanese in the first place? Hmm. You know, it's just, there's nothing, there's nothing about it which is meant that says that character, the major, is Japanese. So I'm okay with it, but I get why people are upset. However, if I put that to the side, yeah, and, you know, and I think we are allowed to because we've done, you know, what we do every couple of weeks for Asian cinema must surely give us some some latitude to not forgive, but to understand. And I thought it was a really good live action remake of. Of the of the anime. Yeah. Right. And we get to see I certainly do get to see a lot of live action remakes of anime and manga because Japanese cinema, that's all it is these days. And it was a million times better than most of those. A million times. Um, I think Scarlett Johansson understood the character, and I think if anyone was going to play it, I think she was a fantastic choice. Also, the fact that if you cast Beat Takashi Kitano in your movie <laughs> really helps cure a lot of my concerns. Yeah, I'm not sure he knew what was going on, but... <laughs> you can't <laughs> smart Fox. <laughs> he's, he's there. Um, I, the only... Uh, I, my view has changed. I thought it was quite clever that they wrote the they wrote into the story the fact that she is a Japanese character really in the past, but she's been recreated as a cool case. I wish they hadn't done that. Now I thought it was clever at the time, and now I just think no, you're 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 making it worse. <laughs> so I've I've matured a bit there, but no, I thought. It, you know, as a as a as a page to screen, screen to screen conversion, it's really good. And um I'm sad I don't know how well it did. I think it did okay. But I haven't seen a lot of other anime or manga adaptations in the West since, so I guess it didn't do that well. Yeah. And obviously with the first one it was more of a sort of cyberpunk thriller. Uh, there was mm. elements of philosophy in there, but it was, as I said, for the most part, it was just a cyberpunk thriller with uh, the major trying to track down the elusive hack of the puppet master. With this one, it felt much more of like a film noir set within a futuristic setting, so drew more comparisons to the likes of Blade Runner, um, especially mm. as Bato is and um, Togasu uh, going from crime scene to crime scene, trying to piece things together. And it's all very sort of like grounded. It's all very much based around um, these androids, or in this case, the gynoids, um, which are like causing causing these uh, murders to happen because they, when they check them out, they find out that they've been fitted with illegal ghosts, or essentially the the android souls of. Uh, are being put into these bodies are, are wrong, and they they're causing them to sort of act like murderers and as we go on we get to see a number of like really interesting sort of like characters within this we get to see like a yakuza boss who's got like a big sort of buzz or uh, arm blade so we have some really good action beats and we also get to meet a creator who's essentially turned himself into a marionette but at that same point that scenes also has a weird time loop that comes out of nowhere and at the same time gets really bogged down in philosophy, which I think was one of the real nagging issues of this film is because you hit that philosophical part and it's sort of like, 
you don't know where you're coming or you're going or what's supposed to be going on with it and it sort of feels unneeded in a way to be that sort of philosophical in this yeah yeah i mean as 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 you say you know it 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 starts off very much in a film noir um they're sort of following the bodies so like i say from these these sex robots that have that have turned that have killed people and then that leads them to some yakuza and then and and da, 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 and then they find this guy that they think's in charge and then suddenly they've been hacked or something or they're in a fantasy world and it reset and 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 it's complicated and then they just have these chats about philosophy and it is kind of in this world the the ghost in the shell universe this this concept of what is a person and what is an android is really important you know how much yourself do you replace and then you remain yourself and we know you know that the major was all android apart from her her ghost her her soul her personality you know so so these are similar sorts of stories i just didn't know any of these philosophers that they're quoting i found it very very wordy and like you i was i was then thrown off by the fact oh right no we're in a we're in some kind of fantasy world that they've accidentally been tricked to go into because they've been hacked but then again the other fella um tagusa doesn't have any so how has he been hacked to go into this virtual world i did and then you start thinking about it and then there's the dog which I don't understand either, which maybe you can explain to me. <laughs> so, with Tagusuki, he's supposed to have an e-brain, so that's how he's able to get hacked, uh, okay. because it, as um, Battle's investigation continues, he finds that he's now able to be hacked. So he has a sequence where he um, believes that he's stopping a, whole, a stick up in a convenience store, but actually he's just sort of like running around with a gun, like acting like a crazy person, and almost like kills the store owner because he's been imprinted with these false memories of what's happening and it sort of like raises these questions of sort of like while you have all these supposed advantages by having cybernetic enhancements it also leaves you vulnerable to attack from being hacked mm. so they can essentially control your body without uh, you wanting to and yes battle for some reason has a beagle now um, see I was thinking should I have remembered it from the last film no he didn't have a okay. dog in the first one. This is just Ishii's um, trademark. Is that? It's just one of his things. Okay. Yeah, he likes oh. to put his beagle into all his projects. You will see... Yes, I remember this now. Yes, you've yeah. mentioned this before. Yes. In Ghosts in the Shell, um, you see the beagle appears on posters. Um, in Paddleball and Paddleball 2, he appears um, as himself. And uh, this one, he's Battle's trusted pet, which is basically his only friend in the world he has no real sort of uh connections to anyone outside uh, on the force he just has this dog and that's the only thing that he cares about so how he got the dog no clue yeah so the dog dog dog? no clue yeah Yeah. but it's kind of he is mourning the loss of the major isn't he so maybe we could say (laughs) it's a major substitute but okay i get it now it's it's a director's trademark thing gotcha um so at the, also at the same time you've got this company called locus solus who uh may be responsible for the reason these gynoids are going crazy and there's a whole conspiracy regarding their operation which basically leads to us having this big action scene at the end where they have to break into the rig where all the gynoids are being created and uh, has to battle the security system well um at the same time he feels that he's getting messages from the major but he can't be sure because obviously the major has disappeared off into into the uh the internet shall we say into um, the matrix <laughs> it's basically what it was at the end it's sort of like um mm. became a new form of life by mold it melding with the puppet master um i have to say i i understood what was going on in ghost and show one a lot more than i did in this one and that only took like a couple of watches and i think i could take like three or four stabs of this and still not have i get i mean i get i get the general idea there's one moment there's just one leap i don't understand so as we can spoil a film from 2004 can't we i feel Um, that in this case it will be acceptable yes (laughs) okay so i think that the the sex dolls 
have got the consciousness of real young girls who've been sex trafficked. Yes, that's correct. It's a Yakuza yeah. plot to traffic young girls, so they put their consciousnesses into the gynoids, so they give yeah, them human ghosts. One of the people who was killed early on has deliberately fucked with it so that's why the 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 programming breaks down and they end up killing people the idea to attract police attention right so i kind of get where there's there's this spate of killings and section nine been brought in because i think they suspect there's a political component and i understand how they've got to the yakuza i don't understand the leap from visiting the yakuza to this the the guy the Kim the guy that 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 lives inside a doll <laughs> Just, so that that jump and I may have missed it I, might, I could watch it again and it makes sense but yeah there was this okay. there was this leap from a noir thing and a crime thriller and and then suddenly we're we're into this and it's really interesting don't get me wrong it's really well animated and creepy and weird and little talking dolls are always scary aren't they and i get the the cl- i even understood the clue that he that, that batu saw on the floor and that's how he knew that he was in a some kind of yeah that was something i had a, a real uh issue with batu is supposed to be this gun crazy <laughs> muscle head and his partner's supposed to be yeah, like he's the, the, the level-headed yeah. one. Because every firefight they go into, Bato apparently has not got enough guns. He, mm. his, only, his approach to everything, and we saw this in the first film when he blew up the spider tank robot. And he's like, well, what do you hit it with? It's like, oh, just your bog-standard big gun. Um, and when he goes to, goes to visit the accuser, um, he's basically armed to the teeth as well. But yet he's somehow able to solve this this clue that was on the floor and like be the one who sort of pieced it all together which felt like it, a bit of a leap mm. um but no with kim who's a soldier hacker um i believe that the reason they go to him is because of battle getting his e-brain hacked and that yeah, the only one who could do major, it would be him the major's done that right so the major basically gives him a f- so there's no point in him being a fucking cop right because None of his copness gets in there. It's the fact the major tells him what it is when she hacks him in the shop. It's like, well, that was a waste of time, wasn't it? It's now <coughs> she really is the she, she's the ghost in the machine now. She's not just the ghost in the shell. She's the ghost in the machine. Exactly. She can she can um yeah she 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 has more knowledge than we do, and they're deliberately trying to make out that we don't know that she's around. But yes, it was it just. I, I hate it, stuff like that that's unearned. But so, I mean, it's a floor of a million detective stories, isn't it? That, that suddenly someone gets a clue or a free pass to a clue that they haven't really investigated. The plot's just given it to them and it helps it move on. And yeah, it's unearned, but see, okay, I was, fine. I was just happy with them just doing like a noir always investigating killer sex robots. And this... I was I was into it then. I thought, oh, this is really yeah, this is interesting. I mean, it's one of the it's one of those stories about that that is done. Maybe one could say to death, but you know, in in other science fiction worlds that talk about androids and robotics, sex robots always eventually come up, don't they? So I'm all right with that. It's not particularly original. But it's actually, yeah, any technology, it's only a matter of time someone finds the way to abuse it. It's sort of like, as they said, it's sort of like when they invented cinema and they realised that they could film move an image. It was about five minutes after that porn was invented because they thought, well, what else can we do with this? And it's whenever you create anything, it's a matter. It's only a matter of time to how long it's twisted. It's like with Minecraft, they were charting how many days it took to things appear, and it was like within a week the first penis had appeared. Because of course someone has to do that. So cock of course balls. it's all like has to, has to has to anything or get a cock and balls on it if you <laughs> you can create. So of course it. if you create Android Life, how long is it before someone has to go and make a sex robot? I think they'd probably make the sex robot before the Android, but yeah, and and then it gets all a bit creepy because obviously they're at, these sex robots are actually inhabited by the basically the brain patterns of underage girls. Yeah, and it's, um, and it's yeah, it's never really that that 
bit of it is never really addressed. <laughs> it's, it's sort of skated over a bit. They just mm. like they hide it under the fact of like, oh, it was the accuser human trafficking ring. Um, that they were like they were replicating the girl's ghosts. And mm. up until that point, we had some like really interesting sequences, like when he's tracking the killer gynoid at the start, and it sort of like comes across it, and it was like, oh, it was trying to kill itself. It was like, why was it trying to do that? And these like interesting parts, but then it tries to get these big ideas of what of what it wants to be um and it kind of like loses you and then we get sort of rewarded for sticking with it by having the big action scene at the end i didn't hate it but at the same time i just wish that it hadn't gone as hard on trying to ask the big questions it was kind of like the problem i had with um prometheus in the fact that it asks all these big questions but doesn't give itself enough time to answer any of it when Prometheus essentially we boil down to you know man goes to find God and finds out God is disappointed in its creation but it didn't really it got too caught up in all these other elements to really sort of sell that story and I think this is the problem with Ghost in the Shell 2 is the fact that it gets too caught up in the philosophical side when it should just focus on just being like a straightforward like detective story um, very, a little I'd, I'd, have been, I'd have been happy with either or to be honest with you just not both and and that 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 sort of that sequence in the middle which i think we both struggled with is that you know from a from an animation point of view from a you know from an intelligent piece of discussion point of view is is absolutely good although again i will reiterate i really struggled with the frame rate of this film i don't understand why i felt it just nothing everything just felt a bit weird but it may have been the version of the film i had um <clears throat> but if it had just been a straight through action film you could have still had this, the side beats about the difference between batu and um tagusa you know about about the difference in their their androidness and each of them and you could have had some of these discussions where they were driving around chasing down clues and you could have had the nice big action sequence at the end and the big reveal that the major is still there watching over Batu and and can and and that's you know that end sequence is really good it's just if for a 96 minute film there's a there's a 25 30 minute big fucking block of uh, in the middle of yeah, I think certainly. I don't, the... I don't remember. I don't remember it being so overt in Ghost in the Shell. Ghost in the Shell. I think the thing with Ghost in the Shell is it had some really decent action beats, and mm. like the downtime was when it got philosophical, because it's sort of like when they're not beating up people or chasing rogue garbage men. It's all like <laughs> then she goes diving, and um, that gets referenced. I thought it was a nice reference to this one in because um, Bato has to go and dive down to a hitch a ride in a submarine it's sort of like I had a a former partner who used to go diving and <laughs> he used to question whether she like feared about sinking to the bottom um, and it, as I said it blended in those philosophical elements more nicely and at the same time the overarching sort of arc of like who the puppet master was uh, sort of played in well into that into the philosophical side whereas here it feels like much more of a bolt on the fact that we go and see this uh, hacker who's turned himself into a marionette. And yes, it's a very cool design. The setup's all really cool and the idea of it's cool. But it's just to have a to stop and have a philosophical uh, debate just felt very out of whack for these characters. Especially because Bato wasn't particularly philosophical in the first one. Mm. It was more the major who was philosophical because, you know, she's got these questions about what it is to be human and what's what is a soul and things like this. Mm. Yeah, I think I think. Yeah, also, maybe it happened too early. You know, it happened slap bang in the middle of the film. It just I don't know, it just knocks all the pacing out. You can you can have these chats. You can have these chats when you meet the big bad and have that. You know, and this isn't the big bad. This is this is no. just. This is just somebody who's vaguely involved. <laughs> I think. I mean, you know, he's he's probably the he's probably the, the the technical architect of what's going on, but he's not the he's not the head of the conspiracy or anything like that. So it was just just weird. But again, I it's one of those times yet again where I appreciate the craft. 
but I struggle with the execution. It's like, why turn yourself into a doll? And see, there was, that would be my first question. It's sort of like, what of all what, the things what, you could turn yourself into? Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like you think of like every other time that someone's like transferred their subconscious into something else. Like uh, you look at um, Winter Soldier, for example. Mm. And he's transferred himself into a computer, and he's got a face on the screen. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, the um, oh god, uh, what's his name? Toby. Toby Jones is yeah, character. Toby Jones' yes. character. Um, yeah. Or you look at Chappie, and he's like transferred himself into a robot. It's like yeah, again, that's really cool. Or you look in, or, or Ryan Reynolds is Pikachu. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> Detective Pikachu. Um, <laughs> I hope you watched that because it's still good. That is such a good film. I it's think, really um, dark actually in places. Mm. Which for I was is it, was it supposed to be a kids movie or? Well, it's based on a 3DS game, so yeah, I'm gonna say yeah. No, it is. It is, and I think even the even the implementation of the Pokemon, you know, is re- you know some of them were like the size of fucking hills and stuff aren't they it's i just thought it was a really really good film that i had zero expectations you know i have no interest in pokemon i have you know and the fact it was based on a 3ds game not even like a modern game and and it was and you always fear with uh, ryan reynolds i'm a huge fan of ryan reynolds but he basically appears in a lot of films that absolutely depend on him you know, his personality and charisma alone are what keep a lot of his films alive. <laughs> and and I thought, oh, God, you know, is he going to... Is that going to work? But no, it did. Uh, yeah, Again, it's not... I mean, we do need a side series where we can cover sort of Asian films. <laughs> or uh, films based on Asian properties or something like that, because I love that movie. Anyway, back to this one. Get the patron up. Yeah. So got Would you episodes. like us to do an episode on 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 Detective Pikachu? Let us know in the comments section. We're open to ideas. Yeah. Um <laughs> please carry on soon. Well no, I think I'm pretty done it really. It's just it's yeah the, I didn't hate this film. At no. All. That's good though. I didn't hate it. Um it also doesn't feel unnecessary. You know, like, look, I'm glad it's in the same. I'm glad it's not a retelling, a reboot, an alternate version, a different timeline. Sometimes it's, I mean, I'm a fan of fucking Transformers and I can bad, barely keep up with all the different timelines of that. And, and, and so I'm glad this is this is literally a sequel, which is wasn't what I was expecting. Um, so it was nice to hook up with battle again it was nice to see the major again eventually um the story is interesting i just think there's something about the execution isn't quite right but the good news is it's only an hour and a half long so even the the the, what i think we consider a bit of a misstep doesn't take up a huge amount of the movie and we've still got there's a nice there's a nice ending and actually there's a nice human ending at the very end where batu you know is given the opportunity to he does connect back with humanity again doesn't he where he sees um tagusa and his child connecting i think there's a there's a little element of batu getting a bit of um humanity back as well so yeah it was it was fine i'm not going to say it was good i'm not going to i'm ever going to go back and watch this again um i'm pretty certain that that hollywood aren't queuing up to remake it well and they already included parts of it in the, indeed, in the live indeed. action version so indeed but if um you know if i've upset anybody who's really into existentialism existentialism is that the word yes yeah. um and says you idiot you need to read all these books let me know but <laughs> yeah. and then uh then they're going to prove that black is white and they kill the next zebra crossing Boom, boom. There's a, there's a Douglas Adams uh, mm. reference for you. Indeed. For myself, the two issues I have with this, and this is really pinnicky, um, I didn't like the 3D art elements that they included in this. 
It's got loads of CGI um, elements for some of the more complex sequences, such as a parade ah, sequence. The, like, the, like, the, like the plane at the, the, the space, or whatever it is, the sort of the airship at the beginning. Yeah, so you've got these, yeah. um, they've got these CGI elements that are included alongside the traditional animation elements. And for myself, they sort of stand out like a sore of thumb. They're actually very good, the animation is, but the blending of the two styles just doesn't work for myself. Um, and it's when you look at it, especially when you look at a lot of older CGI animation, a lot of it's not aged particularly well. So it was kind of nice the fact that this one still looks good, but at the same time, the blending of the two styles it was kind of jarring and reminded me in many ways of Initial D, um, which also used a CGI styling for the cars, but everything else was drawn in a traditional animation style. Um, my other quibble with this is the fact that Bato now has a George Romero style ponytail which does nothing for myself it's uh same as when Patrick Ted has that ponytail in time it's like this just not a good look man well I didn't as I said certainly didn't enjoy it as much as the first one but at the same time I think it's got its merits as a sequel I don't think it's, it's terrible um, but at the same time, it's it's more of a flawed sequel than I would have liked from the franchise. So, Steve, any final thoughts? Tom? No, I think I think same as you. It's it's fine. It's perfectly fine. I don't hold any grudge for you picking it up. You know, cho- choosing it, it was worth watching. Um, and I think we have both seen much worse sequels <laughs> to, to properties that we like. So yeah, fine. Two out of five. I think it's higher than myself, but um, so yeah, there you have it. Goes to show two innocence. Um, a approach with caution recommendation from ourselves. Uh, but uh, you know, let us know what you think of in the uh, comment section. Let us know what you thought of uh, the film, which you're a fan or not. In the meantime, though, um, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter come say hi to us there you can let us know via email which is acfilmclub at yahoo.com and uh, if you haven't done already please do hit the like and subscribe button leave us a review as it all hurts race both for the show you can check out our full archive of episodes at acefilmclub.wordpress.com and Stephen it is your choice to choose next what would you like to look at it is um do you know we haven't done a lot of Wong Kar Wai movies, have we? We've done... We've done a couple. Uh, I'm trying to think. We've done Chunking we Express. We did Chunking Express, and we did Fallen Angels? Fallen Angels, yes, which is like the sequel yes. to it. So I'd like us to look at another Wong Kar Wai film. Um, I'd like us to look at 1988's As Tears Go By, um, starring Andy Lau, Maggie Chung, our favourite, and Jackie Chung, who I think is one of the big Hong Kong actors I don't think has been anything we've covered so far of that golden age of actors. So it'd be nice to see Jackie Chung again. Um, inspired by um, Scorsese's Mean Streets, sort of a, a, a little crime thriller. So should be a little less elliptical than some of Wong Kar Wai's stuff. So yes, as tears go by. Fantastic. Have you seen it before? I've not seen it before, so this is going to be a first time watch for myself. Um, and I'm going to tell you, it's a first time watch for me as well. So that's why I wanted to. I wanted to. Yeah, it's all one of those long term. Really must get round to watching that. Um, and I'm always excited to see a Maggie Chung movie that I haven't Indeed. seen. <laughs> um, Indeed. As I was saying to Heather, uh, Baxter Walsh, because um, I said everything everywhere um, all at once was my movie of the year. But if they had included a multiverse where it's with uh, Michelle Yeoh and Maggie Chung just hanging out, just like a little cameo, them hanging out, having coffee or something, they would have had to create numbers above one for me to, because I would not have been able to rate that movie higher. So, so yes, I'm very excited to uh, see that. And Maggie Chung has recently been sort of popping up everywhere. We've seen her beauty pageant video. Um, we had that Christmas card of her dressed as Santa going around. So. Yes, yes. In our in our little corner of Facebook, she has been uh, has been popping up. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, we're uh, looking forward to that. Uh, so make sure you join us next time for as tears go by. But until then, thank you for listening. Thanks to my co-host Stephen. 
Pleasure as always. And uh, we will be back very soon with STS Goodbye. But until then, good night. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.